Good morning, Hope Ames. It's really great to be with you. My name is Danny Householder. I'm a pastor here. If we've never met, I would love to meet you. I'm usually out in the lobby or in the hallway after the service. It would be really great to just catch up and, and see what's new in your life. Uh, we are in our second week of our series called A Closer Look at Christmas. This is the Advent season, and we're taking a close look at what does this season really mean in which we are awaiting the arrival of Jesus. We're awaiting the arrival of Jesus to meet him and to experience him in all his fullness and all of his glory. See, this season is all about preparing to meet somebody that we never thought that we would actually meet. Especially in the Old Testament, we read about God who has these big plans and these great ideas for the world and how he's going to send a Messiah into the world to deliver his people and give them freedom and give them life. But nobody ever thought that God would show up like this. Nobody ever actually thought that God would become human. Have you ever met somebody where you never thought you were going to meet them and then you met them and your life changed completely. I want to show you uh, my boyhood idol. This is Steve Young. Anybody else out there like a big Steve Young fan back in the day? A few of you? Okay, there's got to be a couple Niners fans in the house. I loved Steve Young. If you've been going to this church for 20 minutes, you know I'm obsessed with Tom Brady. But before there was Tom Brady, there was Steve Young. I loved him so much that I wore his stuff all the time. When I was six years old, I was Steve Young for Halloween. You might say, wow, Danny, you must have been standing with older kids. No, I was just very underdeveloped and short. I had another Steve Young jersey that I wore around our house all the time. This guy was my hero. I loved the way he played. I loved how athletic he was. I loved how tough he was. I loved how he could take a hit and get back up and still chuck the ball like 80 yards down the field, it seemed. Never did I think I would actually meet this guy. But on Monday night, I actually met Steve Young! It was crazy! It was nuts. My mom works for Southwest Airlines. I used her free flight benefits to go down to Tampa to watch Tom Brady play. But first I met Steve Young. And it was nuts. And I'm showing you both of these pictures because in one, I'm asking for the picture. But in the other one, you can see we were just fellows gathering together and chatting it up, hanging out. I couldn't believe it. We're standing outside the stadium. We got there so early because we had nothing else to do. And there's Steve Young standing right there. I'm like, hey, Steve. I was you for Halloween when I was six. He looked back at me and he goes, no way. I'm like, yes way. He goes, how old are you now? I'm like 30. He goes, oh, I'm so old. I'm like, you're so funny, Steve. What's your address? You want to hang out? He's like, where's the security? You know? No, he was so nice to me. Like, we actually talked for like two minutes. He asked where I'm from. I said, Iowa. He goes, Iowa? I've never been there before. I said, not a lot of people have, but you should come to my church. We'd love to have you. I couldn't believe that I met somebody I never thought that I was going to meet. Today, we're talking about someone who met someone who totally changed his life. Maybe he never thought that he was going to meet somebody quite like this. These next two weeks, we're talking about Jesus' parents. Next week, Carrie Birchka, our student ministry coordinator, is going to preach on Mary. And today, I'm talking to you about Joseph, who met someone, and it changed everything. I tell you what, every single person I've talked to this last week, I'm like, do you know what I did Monday? I met Steve Young. I'm showing them the picture to absolutely everyone. Like, it just changes you. You want to tell people about it. Here's where we start to learn about Joseph. You heard this in the Bible reading today in Matthew chapter 1, verse 118. My bad, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. 
We hear a lot about Mary, but sometimes we don't know a lot about Joseph. There's not a lot about Joseph in the scriptures. So, big question to start off today. Who was Joseph? Sometimes when we think about Joseph, we have the wrong picture in our minds. Here's a famous painting of Joseph, and I want to tell you, that is completely wrong. When we think about Mary and Joseph, we're like, okay, well, Mary, she was maybe 15 or 16 years old, but Joseph, he was probably 55, 56, had white hair, really a grandpa, really. I mean, no, he wasn't. According to ancient Jewish custom, especially in those days, Mary would have been about 15 to 16 years old when she was preparing to be married, and Joseph probably would have been about 17 to 18 years old. So not only is it weird, not only is it gross, it's wrong, stop that, get it out of your mind. Biblically speaking, who really was Joseph? We don't have a lot of information about Joseph, but here are some of the tidbits, and it's actually very revealing. First thing we have in Luke chapter 2, it says, because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem. This introduces the Christmas story when Mary and Joseph were going to Bethlehem and Jesus was going to be born there. We think about Bethlehem these days, we're like, oh, this beautiful, quaint, wonderful, powerful, majestic town. There was nothing special about Bethlehem. And there was nothing special about people who were from Bethlehem. Joseph was from Bethlehem. Joseph was going to Bethlehem with Mary because Caesar Augustus gave this command over all of his empire. And he said, every single one of you needs to be counted. And some scholars will say that they had this census because he wanted to know how many people listened to him, how many people obeyed him, how many people worshipped him, how many people, how many people would migrate at the snap of his fingers. And so Mary and Joseph, to be counted, they went back to where Joseph's family was from, in Bethlehem. And there was nothing special about Bethlehem. Even today, there are only about 25,000 people who lived there. Back in those days, there were no more than a few hundred people who lived there. There was nothing good there. There was nothing good that came from there. It's just like Iowa City. There's just nothing good about it. My sister and brother-in-law live in Iowa City, and they'll listen to this podcast later. I love you guys so much. There's nothing special about where he's from. Then also in Luke chapter 2, they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two, or two young pigeons. What this is saying is Mary and Joseph, when they went to the temple to dedicate Jesus, a practice that we see throughout the Old Testament, and then also with Jesus in the book of Luke, when they go to the temple and they dedicate Jesus, they offer a payment to the temple. And only the poorest people would give a payment like a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons. Joseph was from nowhere. He also had nothing. He was very, very poor. And then finally in Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus is starting to get pretty famous, people are finding out about who he is, they scoff at him. There's going to be nothing special about this guy. They say, he's just the carpenter's son. He comes from nobody special. Don't you know who his dad is? Not really. We don't know anything about him because he's a nobody. So according to his time, Joseph was a nobody from nowhere with nothing to give. There was nothing spectacular about Joseph. And I think that's interesting. Sometimes when we go to the Hallmark store, we can buy all these stuffed little figures of that from the nativity scene. You can actually buy a Jesus figure. You can buy a baby Jesus figure. You can buy a Mary figure. But there's no Joseph to be found. Joseph is just missing. He's like this nobody. We don't really pay a lot of attention to him. Do you feel like that sometimes in your life? Do you feel like nobody's paying attention to you? If you're a middle child, you know what this is like. I have an older brother and I have a younger sister. And God bless them, but they're the most gifted people I've ever met in my life. And you think that's a good thing, but not for me, right? Like, I've been working at Lutheran Church of Hope for five and a half years. I grew up at Lutheran Church of Hope. My dad is the pastor in West Des Moines. To this day, when I go back to West Des Moines, people are like, are you the one who lives in North Carolina? 
Like, no, that's my brother. How's your daughter, Addie? We don't have kids. That's my niece. Oh, how is the occupational therapy going? My sister's an occupational therapist. Somebody actually went up to my brother one time and said, you know, I really liked that sermon that you gave. And he said, oh, thanks. <laughs> we don't even look alike. <laughs> like, sometimes I feel like a nobody from nowhere with nothing to give. So thank you, Hope Ames. You know me for who I am. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if Joseph felt like he maybe wanted to be paid attention to. I, I, I don't know, but maybe you can relate to feeling like a nobody from nowhere with nothing to give. And what's our temptation when we feel like that? Now, this clip that I'm going to show you is totally satire. I want you to know it is satire. But maybe if we were like Joseph, we would have handled it like this. Take a look. I don't feel good. Maybe you should hold the baby. And Joseph and Mary went up from Galilee and out of the city of Nazareth. Dad, I don't know if I can do this. Check it out, baby. They're digging my walk. <laughs> and because there was no room in the inn, they stayed in the stable. And Mary wrapped the baby in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger. And Mary wrapped the baby in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger. Brad, help me swaddle. I gotta say my line, we're losing the audience. It's dead air out there. Come on, Mary. <laughs> this child is a blessing to the both of us. Goodness, I memorize yours too. We shall name him Jesus. Glory to God. And peace on earth to the highest point on earth. There's no swaddle cloth here. This thing isn't big enough to swaddle the baby. Someone's got to carry the performance here. I'm nervous, Brett. I can't feel my legs. Please don't do this to me. It would appear that my wife is better at making babies than swaddling them, no? <laughs> yes? Brett, you're wearing the swaddle cloth on your belt. Woman, do your job and swaddle this baby! Brad, I can't. You're wearing the swaddle thing around your belt. Enough! This child's life is now in jeopardy. Unfit mother, give me this baby. And I, Joseph, shall swaddle this baby and I, Joseph, will protect this child, forgive her son, for she knows not what she's done. So that is not the message of Christmas. <laughs> and thank goodness Joseph wasn't actually like that. When you feel like you're small, like you're nobody, like you're nothing from nowhere, do you feel this temptation to insult other people, to put them down, to take the spotlight from them? I think that God offers us a better way. Even if you think that you're a totally ordinary person, don't you know, and we see this in the story of Joseph, 
God calls ordinary people to extraordinary things. But it's not because of Joseph's character. It's not because of Joseph's righteousness. It's not because of anything that Joseph can do that he's actually called to something extraordinary. He's able to do something extraordinary because the extraordinary God shows up and meets him. I mean, seriously, why Joseph? There's nothing special about him, right? What does it say about the character of our God? We would think that when God shows up, he would show up in the family of Caesar Augustus, who at the snap of his fingers makes millions of people migrate just to show how many people worship him and bow down at his feet. But don't you know that God wants to be known? And if God lives in a palace far away where you have to go through guards and processes just to sit at his feet, we'll never meet him. God wants to be known, so he shows up in the least likely of circumstances. He shows up in a place where he will be misunderstood from his very birth. And in being misunderstood, he understands you. He understands what you feel like when you feel like a nobody, when you feel like you're from nowhere, when you feel like you have nothing to offer. He understands because that is exactly where he showed up. What did Joseph think about himself? What was Joseph trying to do? See, when Joseph heard about Mary's big call, her extraordinary call, his first reaction wasn't necessarily what you would hope it would be, right? It says this in our reading for today. Joseph was a righteous man. He did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. This is a painting. Again, Joseph would not have actually looked like that. But I think that it kind of gives us an insight into what might Joseph have been feeling in that moment as he was considering what was happening. That's a, picture from a frame, uh, that's a painting from a French artist in the 18th century. And as he's sitting there and he's wondering what to do, it's his righteousness that makes him think that he needs to leave Mary. Isn't that interesting? Joseph was a Jewish man who would have known the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish law. According to Deuteronomy chapter 22, somebody who acted sexually outside of the walls of marriage could be permitted to be put to death. And if Joseph continues to associate with her, he might be seen as the guy who did that thing to Mary and the reason for why she has a baby on the way. Joseph is considering these things. He says, I, I need to be a righteous man. I need to uphold the law. And yet he's also compassionate. He's not going to be filling out the paperwork so that Mary is going to be publicly humiliated. Instead, privately, he's trying to balance these things. He's trying to live in that tension between law and grace. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to be a righteous man. But isn't it so interesting that Joseph almost missed out on meeting the most significant and incredible being to ever walk this earth, God himself. He almost missed out on seeing him in the flesh, not because he wasn't doing everything right, but because he thought he was righteous. Sometimes my righteousness gets in my view of Jesus and it blocks him. My righteousness can block my view of Jesus. When I'm paying so much attention to what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and when I'm doing it, rather than seeing where Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, how he is doing it, and how he's calling me into it. We focus on ourselves and what we can do. We're going to miss Jesus. Jesus invites us into a life where we are so secure, where we are so confident, not because of what we've done, but because of the way that he sees us and because of what he has done. And so as Joseph is considering these things, an angel shows up to him and calls Joseph on his trick. Joseph is saying, well, it's because I'm righteous. And the angel says, look somewhere else. You're looking for your righteousness 
And the angel says, there's something better. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The angel said to Mary, too, at the beginning of her call, don't be afraid. See, Joseph, he was telling himself, well, it's my righteousness. That's why I have to leave Mary. But the truth is, he was just afraid. Sometimes the reason why we're afraid to do the things that God has called, sometimes the reason why we don't do the things God has called us to is because we're just simply afraid. And how could we not be? We feel like nobody's from nowhere with nothing to offer. I think almost every single one of us at some point in our life can relate to Joseph in that place. I'm afraid. What can I do? And Joseph's life is about to get so chaotic. He knows that if he answers this call and if he sticks with Mary, his life is going to be ruined socially. Just think about it. Nobody's going to believe him. Nobody believes Mary. His parents are never going to see Mary in a good way again. They're not going to believe him. Mary's parents are never going to look at Joseph and think he's a good guy. They're not going to believe him. Later on, it says that as Jesus was being raised, or as Jesus, now that Jesus was an adult, his family didn't believe in him. So Joseph was going to raise children, and he's trying to balance, like, okay, well, here's God in our family, and then here's just our other kids. Talk about middle kid syndrome, I'm just saying. And he's like trying to raise this family so that it doesn't become dysfunctional. Like, oh, some of my kids don't even believe in him. Like he's going to be called into this crazy, chaotic life. This begs the question, where do we find courage in chaos? When you're feeling ordinary, but God's called you to something extraordinary. And I want you to know this. God has called every single one of you every single one of us to something extraordinary. It's to share his love. It's to proclaim that Jesus has come, that Jesus has lived, that Jesus has died, that Jesus has rose from the dead, that Jesus has defeated death, that it is a gift for all people. I mean, it's the craziest thing that you could tell people. You're never going to die. You're going to live forever. That's scary. Where do we find courage to follow God in those extraordinary calls when we're feeling ordinary? Where do we find courage in the chaos? I think the first thing that we can do is two-sided. The first is we get to surrender control. Everybody go ahead and say, surrender control. Thank you. You kind of surrendered control there. You, you listened to me. That was, yeah, all right. The, 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 the second part of it is like the really fun part, right? It, it, it's accept adventure. Iowa State has that slogan, choose your adventure at Iowa State. Like God's saying, I've chosen an adventure for you. You, you get to accept it. Like this walk of the Christian life is not boring. It is adventurous. And if you don't know that yet, you, you may want to double check who it is that you're following because Jesus will take you on an adventure. See, Joseph, he was absolutely called to both of these things. He's called to surrender control. The angel said this to him in Matthew chapter one, you are to name him Jesus. And that might seem like nothing, but Joseph had lost control of so many different things in his life already. He had lost control of his engagement. He had lost control of his future. He had lost control of his reputation. The one thing in this entire situation that he had control over was this boy that he was going to be, called, that he was going to be calling son. He should be able to name him, right? Especially in those days, naming someone wasn't just verbally identifying them, but it was claiming them. It was welcoming them. It was to say, I have some control here. I have a duty here. I have some responsibility here. They belong to me. Sometimes when some of you will notify me that you've had a child, I'll go visit, we'll talk. Could you imagine if we're, when we're on the phone or if when I meet your baby for the first time, like, we're going to name him Danny Jr. <laughs> what? I wonder what Joseph wanted to name his kid, Joey Jr.? I, I don't know. Probably had dreams for it. But this angel says, you don't get to name God. God names you. You don't get to control God. 
God's operating and working in this world for your benefit, for his glory. It says there, he will save the people from their sins. He's the one doing the work. It's out of your control. In Joseph's life, it absolutely would be an adventure. We talked about this passage this summer, and we got to talk about a few things, but I was looking forward to when we could bring it up again because I didn't get to go totally into some of the things that I was, I was really, really excited about. This is in Luke chapter 2. And this is one of the famous stories, one of the only stories that we have from Jesus' childhood. And it's the last mention that we get about Joseph when he's actually physically present in the story. We don't know what happened to Joseph. We don't know when he died. Um, we know that he wasn't around for Jesus' ministry. He's not mentioned. So I, I think that that's saying something. Jesus likely lost his earthly father at a young age. Jesus knew pain. He knew suffering. He knew that hurt. So I think that that's important to know as we head into Christmas, and some of us are feeling those things. Jesus understands. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Every single year, all of God's people would get together in Jerusalem and they would celebrate the Passover. The Passover looked back on what happened in the book of Exodus when God freed his people from slavery in Egypt. He delivered them. And now here comes Jesus, the Messiah, the deliverer, who's not going to just save them from physical slavery, but he's actually saving them from cosmic slavery, from slavery of sin. And just like every year, when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. It's very important that they highlight that Jesus was 12 years old. 12 years old is the last age for a Jewish uh, child to be a child. And so from 12 to 13, there would be the transition from boy to man, from girl to woman. This was the last time that Jesus would be attending the Passover festival with his parents as their child, like as their actual kid child. And I wonder if Joseph felt some pressure. I wonder if he felt some sort of duty as he's watching his kid grow up. Now, Joseph and Mary had a little bit of a freak-out situation. It says that after they left the Passover, later that day, they realized Jesus wasn't with them. If you ever feel like you've messed up as a parent, Mary and Joseph lost God. <laughs> now, that being said, in those days, in the ancient Jewish culture, it was a community, it was a family setting, and so it would not have been weird for them to be walking and then for, that, for them to entrust the other parents and the other people around them to know that their kid was with them. That, that wouldn't have been strange. But they realized... Jesus wasn't there. So frantically, they start searching everywhere. And it says, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple. Three days later. Listen, Jerusalem, I mean, it's a big place relative to the world that they lived back in those days. But it took three days. They're looking everywhere. And the last place that they look, they discover him in the temple. I always think that it's interesting. Sometimes people are so shocked when they meet God in church. It's just crazy that God would be here, right? He's sitting among the religious teachers, 12-year-old boy sitting among these religious teachers who have been studying the ancient Hebrew scriptures for their entire lives. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. That Greek word for amazed there is flabbergasted. They were absolutely blown away by what Jesus is doing. Do you know any 12-year-olds? Can you picture what's happening in here? Do you remember what you were like when you were 12? Are you 12? My voice hadn't cracked by the age of 12. Here's Jesus sitting in front of the rabbis, in front of the religious teachers, in front of the smartest people in all of Jerusalem. He's like, here's what God wants you to know. <laughs> and they're like, he's right. They, they can't believe it. And it's the religious teachers and the rabbis, they're blown away by him. They're flabbergasted. But also Mary and Joseph, they didn't know what to do either. They're completely out of control. His parents didn't know what to think. Mary says to him, son, why have you done this to us? 
Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. She's asked that question I think a lot of us ask. Jesus, what are you doing? Now, I wonder what that must have felt like for Joseph. He's been trying to play keep up with his son his entire life. He's been trying. And now Jesus has this response where I wonder if it almost felt like it was piercing Joseph in the heart. Jesus says back, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Joseph has raised this boy. And now Jesus is saying to him, all of my relationships, even with you, dad, are totally relativized by my relationship with my heavenly father. You know where I am. I'm with him. You could search everywhere across the city. You know where I am. I'm with him. A lot of times we talk about, hey, I'm just looking for Jesus. Just trying to find him. And there's nothing wrong with saying things like, I'm pursuing Christ. I'm walking toward Christ. I, I hear the intent and I hear the heart in that. I say things like that all the time. And I'm kind of, you know, splitting hairs here, but you don't actually have to look for Jesus. You know where he is. In the Bible, it tells us that Jesus now calls his home in our hearts. He lives in us. We are the body of Christ. He tells his disciples before he ascends into heaven, I'm giving you the advocate. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. No one will ever be able to take you away from me. And no one will ever be able to take me away from you. See him. You don't have to frantically search for him. You get to open your eyes and know that he is here. This has been prophesied about Jesus since thousands of years before, since almost a thousand years before he was born. The angel who approached uh, Joseph in Matthew chapter one also told him this. All of this, this is before Joseph has said, okay, Mary, I'm, I'm gonna stay with you. We're gonna go into this together. The angel is compelling Joseph, convincing Joseph, persuading Joseph, stick with this extraordinary call, the ordinary person. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to, through this prophet. And this is Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You don't have to look. You get to see him. You get to be with him because he has come to be with you. You don't get to control him. You don't get to control a lot. But it's an adventure. Buckle up because he's got you with him. He's got you. They've been prophesying this about him forever. And Joseph would have heard that. And I wonder if Joseph is thinking about all these different things because he's a, he's a Jewish man. He grew up within the Jewish tradition. He's heard these prophecies before. Now, given the people who heard these prophecies, they didn't actually think, well, literally, Jesus is going to show up in a poor family to a virgin mother. People would mock Jesus for that. In John chapter 8, verse 41, Jesus is in this debate with some other religious people. And it seems kind of surprising that they, all of a sudden they say, well, we're not illegitimate children. And scholars will say, perhaps they were mocking Jesus for the way that he claimed to come into this world. God wouldn't show up like that. But Joseph saw it. And I wonder if Joseph started to think about these other prophecies that he had heard, about these other passages from the scriptures. Well, what else did they say about my son? They're starting to see him. And he's starting to see Jesus in all these different places. Do you see Jesus? Do you see that he has shown up in the chaos? 
Like I said, the reason why I was going to Tampa on Monday is because I was going to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play. I'm not a Buccaneers fan. I'm a Tom Brady fan. I love Tom Brady. It's borderline idolatry. I'm confessing that before all of you today. Lord, I repent, and I, and I <laughs> we'll have an altar call after the service. Uh, if you watched the Buccaneers game on Monday night, they were playing the Saints, and I know some of you aren't into football, but let me just sum it up this way. The Buccaneers and Tom Brady were getting smeared. They were getting destroyed, wrecked. I'm like, there's my goat, the greatest of all time, and he's suffering. He's hurting. He's going to lose. I'm so mad. They're getting pounded. They're losing 16 to 3 with five minutes to go. With five minutes to go, there's a 0.7% chance of them winning the game. And about half of the crowd leaves the stadium. Everybody's defeated. Everybody's deflated. And I feel so bad for the stadium operators who are playing those messages on the scoreboard. Get loud. People are like, put a sock in it. You know, We're sad here, don't you know? Except way in front of me, there was this one guy. And this one guy wearing this green neon shirt, he's just going crazy. He's dancing. He's like putting his hands together. He's trying to encourage the people around him too. I don't think he actually knows the game of football very well because when Tom Brady was on offense, he's like doing this, which means safety, which you can only get when you're on defense. I'm not understanding it. They're playing certain songs. And he's like lifting up his shirt, like trying to get on the jumbo trials. Kind of inappropriate. It's making us all feel awkward. And everybody's going, like, just sit down. Hope is lost. We, it's over. We're done. And then, with about five minutes to go, Tom Brady gets the ball back, drives the ball down the field, touchdown. Then they get the ball back again, drives the ball down the field, touchdown. The stadium goes absolutely insane, absolutely wild. I'm jumping around. I'm going crazy. I'm hugging my friend Andrew. We're crying. We're going wild. And there's Brian having more fun than, I call him Brian, you'll know why. There's the guy in the green neon shirt having more fun than anyone in the entire stadium. He's having a blast. He's seeing the same victory as everybody else, but he was the only one that still believed when hope seemed lost. He's the only one. And with about five minutes to go in the game, and I started to believe, I started to look at him, and he started to look at me, and we're making motions back to each other, and we're like dancing with each other from like far distance across the rows. We built this connection, kind of like me and Steve Young. But then, he, anyway, so we built this connection, and after the game, he actually came up to me and my friend Andrew, and this is Brian. He was so excited. He was thrilled. I'm telling you, nobody enjoyed the victory quite as much as Brian. Because Brian was the one who believed when all hope was lost. Listen, however you live your life, no matter the effort that you give, whether you feel like you're righteous or unrighteous, Jesus' victory is going to happen. It already has happened. We'll someday see the fulfillment of it. But you get to have joy. You get to dance today. You get to celebrate you got to try to be on the jumbotron. Keep your shirt on. Don't wave it around like Brian. But I asked Brian, I'm like, Brian, you, you believed the whole time. How did you believe? And he said, I saw who my quarterback is. And I'm like, yeah, man. Tom Brady for 23 years. I promise the sermon's about Jesus, not Tom Brady. But Tom Brady for 23 years has been proving people as long as he's on your team, as long as you can see him, there's still hope. And on that field that night, you could see him. Have you seen another person in this picture? Did you see him? Did you notice him? It's Tom Brady. <laughs> there he is. Just a picture of me, Brian, and Tom. Just hanging out. Way more than 23 years. Jesus has been proving that when hope seems lost, 
as long as he's with you and he promises to be with you, you still get to have joy. You still get to have hope. You still get to have peace. Do you want to have courage in the chaos? See Jesus in the chaos. He's there in the chaos. No matter how chaotic Joseph's life got, Jesus was there in the chaos. And I wonder how chaotic Joseph's mind had become. You know, he hears that prophecy about his son. He's going to be the one who fulfills the prophecy from Isaiah. I wonder if he goes back to Isaiah and he's thinking about all these different prophecies that Isaiah had about his son. And there is, he's watching his son in the temple at 12 years old, teaching the rabbis and the religious teachers. He's like, oh my goodness, this is all really happening. I wonder if he thought about this prophecy and I wonder how chaotic his mind got at this moment. Isaiah chapter 53 says about this same servant, about this Messiah, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. And I wonder if when Joseph is sitting at the manger scene with Mary and it's this quiet night, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's lots of animals. His wife probably had, it could not have been easy. She didn't have the medical things. Jesus is a baby. He's probably screaming and crying. I get it. Audibly, it's loud. And yet there must have been some peace there. And in the peace, there's also the chaos in his mind because he's sitting there watching, what's going to come of this boy? And as he's watching his son in the temple at 12 years old, he's like, what's going to happen to you? son. Jesus told Joseph, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? The father whose DNA I have. And where did he call Jesus? I mean, my goodness, I wonder how many times Joseph said, you know, like from the window or door of their house, Jesus, come on in, time for dinner. Jesus, come on over here. Jesus, stop messing with your brother James. He had all these wants and desires for his son, but Joseph must have known there's a greater father who has a call for this son. And what was the most chaotic moment of Jesus' life? It's when he's getting arrested in the garden. Chaos strikes and his disciples try to fight back and defend Jesus. And he says, you can't defend me. You can't have control over this. And as these soldiers come, with all their weapons and all of their armor to arrest this 33-year-old man, a teacher of God's word. Jesus says back to them, go back slide. Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. The same boy that was in the temple at 12 years old, the same baby that laid in the manger, fullness of God. He may have looked ordinary, but he had the fullness of all the extraordinary and all of the universe and that created it all right there in him. You might as well have arrested me when I was 12. I was just as dangerous then. I was just as, as adventurous then. I was just as in control then. His disciples freak out. It says, at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. There's this picture that depicts Jesus. It's supposed to be Jesus in the wilderness. 
But I think that this is probably the way that Jesus lived a lot of his life. Alone. Being told he's a nobody from nowhere with nothing to offer. Yet he had that conviction. He knew. There was nothing ordinary about him. Physically, sure. Spiritually, cosmically, most extraordinary being to ever walk this earth. He was God. And while oftentimes we leave Jesus, he refuses to keep us there. You know, I wonder if Joseph is sitting at the manger and he's like, I'll never leave you. I'll never go away. But we know Joseph wasn't there for Jesus's ministry. Most likely Joseph died when Jesus was young. Maybe it wasn't long after Jesus was 12 in the temple. I don't have kids. Abby and I don't have kids of our own, but just imagine how much you love your children, how much you always want to be there for them. One of the painful realities about this world is we realize we can't always be there for people. Someday we won't be here, but who will be? The angel prophesied. The angel looked back to the prophet and told Joseph, he's going to be Emmanuel, which means God with you. And at the very end of Matthew, the same book where Joseph had that dream, Jesus finishes the last verse of the last chapter by saying, you be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The same thing that the angel told to Jesus, Jesus says to us, I'm with you. Sure, it seems like it's out of control, but I'm in control. Sure, it seems crazy. Yeah, it's an adventure, but I'm in it with you. Courage and chaos. Don't just see Jesus in the chaos, but see Jesus with you. See the Jesus, not just on the cross, not just the Jesus who walks out of the tomb in all of his glory, not just the Jesus who sits on the throne next to the Father, but that same Jesus who once upon a time taught to people three times his age in the temple. That same Jesus who once upon a time was laid down into a manger by his poor teenage Jewish parents. Nobodies from nowhere with nothing to offer. There's never been anything ordinary about Jesus. He's extraordinary. And he calls you on this extraordinary adventure with him. Sure, he's dangerous, but not to you. He is dangerous to the evil in this world. He is dangerous to the sad things in this world. He's making the sad things come untrue. He's righting the wrongs. He's reconciling the brokenness. He's restoring everything that's died. And in that manger long ago, in Christ, it says in Colossians chapter two, lives all the fullness of God in a human body. You know that old Christmas song, Away in a Manger? We sing it, we think, oh, it's just sweet about this cute little innocent, vulnerable baby. And yes, he's cute. Yes, he's innocent. Yes, he's vulnerable. Because that's how much God wants to be known. That's how much God wants to be seen and touched and felt. Shows up in these completely unexpected places. Understood so that he would understand you. But in that baby exists the strongest power all the deity of God. The same God who once upon a time spoke creation into existence. 
The same God who led his people out from Egypt, who split the seas at the sound of his voice, who dried up riverbeds for his people to walk across safely, who spoke through the prophets, who came down like fire speaking in the tongues of the apostles. The same God that died on a cross, the same God that rose from the grave is that same God who wants to be known, who wants to be seen, who wants to be touched, that he would show up. And there in the manger, away in a manger, the little Lord Jesus, God is there. When you sing this song, remember what Jesus said when his life got chaotic. You should have arrested me when I was a child. Do not be fooled. Christmas may make us feel all innocent, may make us feel all happy, and those are good feelings. But there is this edge, there is this danger, there is this thrill of Christmas, of Advent. Because the Almighty God, in all His power, in all His fullness, would package himself in a knowable way, in an understandable way, so that you would know this, so that you would understand this. He's with you. In your chaos, you can have courage because he is with you. You feel like a nobody. You feel like you come from nowhere. You feel like you have nothing to offer. Jesus has everything and he's with you. He calls you somebody. He calls you friend. He calls you brother. He calls you sister. His father calls you child. Away in a manger, the little Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Every piece of God right there. He's come to give you courage. He's come to be with you. Amen. Stand up. Let's sing it.